John chapter number 18, I'd like to begin reading at verse number 28. Now, our Lord has just been arrested, and it is the night before the crucifixion. And they are taking him, the Bible says in verse 28, Then led they Jesus from Caiaphas, who was the high priest, unto the hall of judgment. And it was early, and they themselves went not into the judgment hall, lest they should be defiled but that they might eat the Passover. Pilate then went out unto them and said, What accusation bring ye against this man? They answered and said unto him, If he were not a malefactor, we would not have delivered him up unto thee. Then said Pilate unto them, Take ye him and judge him according to your law. The Jews therefore said unto him, It is not lawful for us to put any man to death that the saying of Jesus might be fulfilled which he spake, signifying what death he should die. Then Pilate entered into the judgment hall again and called Jesus and said unto him, Art thou the king of the Jews? Jesus answered him, Sayest thou this thing of thyself, or did others tell it of thee of me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Thine own nation and the chief priests have delivered thee unto me. What hast thou done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from hence. Pilate therefore said unto him, Art thou a king then? Jesus answered, Thou sayest that I am a king. To this end was I born, and for this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. Pilate saith unto him, What is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again unto the Jews, and saith unto them, I find in him no fault at all. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time that you've afforded us this morning. I pray that you'd speak to hearts, Lord, and that you'd do what we're unable to do. Lord, give me the unction and power that's needed, that the preaching may be effectual, Lord, and efficient, and we'll be sure to give you the glory. If there's some amongst us that are lost and undone, Show them, Lord, their need of Calvary, except they see it through the power of the Holy Spirit. They'll never come to you. Father, we love you, and we ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. I'm interested in a phrase used in verse 28 where the Bible says that they themselves went not into the judgment hall. Now, if I could give you just a short synopsis of what is taking place. Our Lord has spent uh, the evening with His disciples in the upper room. And if you were to read John chapters 13 and 14 and 15 and 16 and 17, you would find the discussions that took place. You'd find the prayers that were prayed. You'd find that even uh, psalms were sang unto the Lord. You'd find the institution of what we call the Lord's Supper. And uh, you would find that after Judas had got up and left the table, the Lord uh, did the Lord's Supper, or what some of us call communion. And uh, as soon as he was done with that and he had told his disciples and taught them some things, they arose and they went down to the Mount of Olives, uh, down to the Garden of Gethsemane, and they uh, sang hymns on the way. And our Lord began in chapter uh, 16, chapter 17, he began to pray unto the Father. And you get down to chapter number 18 and you find him in the garden.
There he prayed and wrestled and uh, talked with the Lord. There he said his sweat was, as it were, sweat drops of blood. And the Bible says that Judas then came and seeing him, the Bible tells us that he betrayed him with a kiss. And uh, I could tell you the story a thousand times, and you've heard it a thousand times, how that they took our Lord and they brought him unto the house of Caiaphas, who was the high priest. And this is what uh, old-timers used to call was the kangaroo court that they brought him into. And they began to drum up charges against the Savior. But now they have left this mock courtroom. And they are going into a place called the Judgment Hall. It's here that they're going to deliver him unto Pilate, hopefully uh, to be sentenced to death. And I'm interested in the phrase that's used because I find that it's true of many people today. Do you know that every one of us, when we're faced with the gospel of Jesus Christ, we're faced with a decision that we must make. You'll find that every time that Jesus Christ ever uh, made an impact in someone's life, any time He ever healed a man or spoke to a man or dealt with somebody all through the gospels, He always brought them to a place of decision. And we live in an indecisive world today. Do you know that? We live in a world that believes there's many ways to heaven, that every way is right, that no way is wrong. We live in a world that's fine if you want to believe in Jesus Christ, but don't expect us to believe in Jesus Christ. And they simply do not want to be brought to a place of decision. I have no problem with you worshiping as your conscience dictates. But they do not want you telling them that there's a judgment, that there's a day coming, that there is a reckoning. They do not want you telling them that there's going to come a time when a decision is going to have to be made. And could I say in a sense that we live in a time when the world doesn't themselves want to enter into the judgment hall. This was the place of examination. This was the place where the truth would be brought into the light. And can I say that we live in a world of deceit today? We taught about it in Sunday school this morning. A world of dishonesty. A world when a person, simply if they can deceive themselves, they're satisfied with that. But there's coming a day, friend, when we'll come face to face with the truth, whether we like it or not. We can be upset about that. We can reject it if we wish to. But the Bible tells us in Philippians chapter number 2 that every knee should bow and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. I want to, if I can, look at this passage and notice three reasons very quickly why they claimed they could not make a decision about Jesus Christ. And it could be that under the sound of my voice today, there's some that will be presented with the gospel that are lost and undone without Christ. And they're saying within themselves, I'll make a decision on another day. They're saying within themselves, that's fine, preacher. You want to believe that? You want to go on about that? I mean, I'm here with Mama, and I'm here because she wanted me to be. uh, But I'm not here to make a decision for Christ. I'm not here to have my life changed. Could I say to you that as a 10-year-old boy, I wasn't looking to have my life changed either when I read headlong into Calvary. But God changed me and saved me that day. And it could be that this morning could be the decision, the day that you'll make a decision for Jesus Christ. I hope it is. Notice what's said in verse number 28. Then led they Jesus from Caiaphas unto the hall of judgment. And it was early, and they themselves went not into the judgment hall, lest they should be defiled, but that they might eat the Passover. Could I say there's some today in this world that we live in? that refuse to make a decision about Jesus Christ because of their creed or because of their religion. You know, that's why they didn't want to go into the judgment hall. 
Because they knew if they went into this Gentile judgment hall, if they took part in this trial, that it would defile them for the Passover that they were about to partake in. Boy, God has a sense of irony about Him, doesn't He? They didn't want to partake in Christ who the book of 1 Corinthians says is our Passover, that they might partake in a physical Passover. Of course, we know these are Jews. They are Orthodox Jews. They are Pharisees. They are adherents to the Old Testament law. And they thought their law was sufficient to get them to heaven. And can I say that whenever God starts dealing with you, you're going to have to make a decision between religion and Jesus Christ. Religion has never saved a single soul. Do you hear me this morning? Listen, I know it's Mother's Day and we're supposed to be nice and we're supposed to be kind and we're not supposed to talk about these things. We're just supposed to go to church and hand out flowers and have a good time. I get that. This morning, God's burned a message in my soul that I want you to understand that we are at a moment of decision in our lives and we're going to have to make a choice. A lot of people say, well, my religion doesn't require me to make a decision for Jesus Christ. And I hate to say it, friend, but that's true about 99.99999% of religion. Just go to church, be good, get baptized, go through the motions... Wear the nice suit, carry the right Bible, look the right way, and no one's ever going to ask you ever if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Can I say to you that you can be the most religious person in the world and die in split hell wide open, friend? I mean, you can wear the right colored suit, you can carry the right Bible, you can go to the right church and still die and go to hell if you won't make a decision about Jesus Christ. I would say that there's two reasons, basically, because they're religion that are denoted here. And the first is the confession they would have had to have made. It says that they would be defiled. Now, you know what Paul said about the law. The the Bible says about the law that uh, when the law entered, sin revived and I died. See, the Old Testament law was not given to bring us closer to God. It was given to show us how far we were away from God. And what they're saying is if we enter into this judgment hall, we're going to be defiled by entering into it. But could I say to you today that a lot of people don't want to accept Jesus Christ because they'd have to admit that they need Jesus Christ first. The problem today, people don't have a problem with the Savior. They've got a problem with their sin. It's not that they don't want Jesus Christ. It's that they don't want to admit they're a sinner and need a Savior. They don't want to confess that they are defiled, that they're unrighteous, that they're ungodly. And and listen, I know, I mean, Dr. Phil, he'd stroke out over me saying this, but every single one of us are born sinners into this world. The Bible says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The psalmist said, in sin did my mother conceive me. The fact is, you don't have to do anything to be a sinner. If you're born, you're born a sinner. Say, I don't like it. Well, that's what God says. That's not my opinion. Hey, listen, I wish it was my opinion, because if it was just my opinion, you could dismiss it. But the fact is, that is absolute truth. The Bible says in Romans 5, 12, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, and that all have sinned. Every one of us is a sinner. And we don't want to come face to face with Calvary, because to come face to face with Calvary is to admit that we're a sinner in need of a Savior. We don't want to admit that. Uh, People have no problem with the idea of Christ in a manger. They have no problem with the idea of of the meek Galilean that came to shepherd the lost sheep of Israel. And by the way, the Jews had no problem with that either. We were talking this morning in Sunday school, there's three basic uh, time periods in the ministry of Jesus Christ. There was an inaugural year, a year in which his words and works were beginning to be spread abroad. People were beginning to know what the name of Christ was and who he was. And then there's a year of acceptance. 
A year in which the multitudes were following him and he was uh, feeding them on the hillside. I found out this, friend, you start feed people, they'll show up. Amen. And, uh, you know, he's breaking bread and he's feeding people. But then you find that there comes a year of what we call the year of rejection. And it was this year that was leading up to the cross of Calvary. And the closer you get to the cross, the thinner the crowd will always get. But you know what it was that caused people to walk away and to not walk with them anymore? He looked at him and he said, except you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you shall have no part of me. They said, this is a hard saying. Who can know it? It wasn't that they couldn't understand the imagery of what he was saying. It's that they didn't like the idea that someone had to die for their sins. That's why we live in a world that doesn't want a a bloody religion like what the Bible preaches. That's why the, the cross of Christ is an offense unto them that perish. Because they don't want to admit that they need a Savior. Everybody wants a Savior that's going to fix their marriage, that's going to get them out of debt, that's going to get them in a better house, that's going to get them a better car, that's going to fix their kids. And you can die and go to hell wanting that. You have to get to the place where you realize you're lost and undone without Christ. Listen, if God never does another thing for you, you still need Him to save you from your sins and to redeem you. I'd say because of their confession. But I would say there was a second thing, and we see this a lot today. I would say because of their exclusion. They said, look at it in verse 28, lest they should be defiled, but that they might eat the Passover. You know what they're saying? They're saying if we go into that judgment hall, what are the other Jews going to think about us? That's going to exclude us from eating the Passover. And we're not willing to do that. Let me tell you something. There's a lot of people going to die and go to hell for people that they barely know. Let me say that again. I don't know if it's sunk in. There's a lot of people going to die and go to hell for people that they barely know. Because they're afraid of what they're going to think. They're afraid that they're going to be critical. Let them be critical. I wouldn't die and go to hell for anybody. You hearing me this morning? I mean, there's people that God deals with that the Holy Spirit is stirring their hearts. They know that they need Calvary. But then the invitation time comes and they say, well, what will my friends think? Well, if they think anything negative, they want your friends in the first place. Say, well, what will the church folk Think, well, listen, any church, any church that would look with reproach on a sinner coming to know Christ needs to be burned to the ground. The fact of the matter is, it's not, hey, it's not uh, the church members around you. It's not your friends. It's not your family. Hey, you need to go for yourself and accept Jesus Christ because they're not going to stand with you at the judgment. They said, well, if we do this, we can't eat at the Passover. The crowd, what are they going to think about us? The religious crowd. Religion sent more people to hell than anything else. People thinking they're good enough to get there of their own works, of their own righteousness. Let me tell you something. The Bible says that your righteousness is as filthy rags. And that's my righteousness too. Our best attempts at pleasing God are but filth in His eyes. You need a Savior this morning. You say, well, I don't like it, preacher. Well, it's true though. It's true this morning. Sinners still need Jesus Christ this morning, just as I needed Him. Just as every single person in this room that knows Christ as their Savior, they needed Him. And you need to quit worrying about what everybody around you is going to think. That's a good way to die and go to hell, worrying about what other people think. Because let me tell you something, when you wake up in eternal damnation, it won't matter much to you what other people think. I think because of their creed, they didn't go. But look at verse number 30. Look at verse 29. Pilate then went out unto them and said, What accusation bring ye against this man? In other words, at first we see why they didn't want to go in. 
And then secondly, we see why they had already passed judgment. What is the accusation? And this is interesting what they said. They answered and said unto him, If he were not a malefactor, we would not have delivered him up unto thee. Now, a malefactor was a criminal. A criminal. And this is, I mean, circular reasoning at its best. Because here they bring Christ and they say, You need to crucify him. He's a criminal. Pilate says, well, what makes him a criminal? And they said, well, if he wasn't a criminal, would we have brought him? (laughs) What kind of foolishness? But let me tell you something. I see this exact same attitude in the lost of today. We see that first they didn't want to go into the judgment hall. They didn't want to be faced with truth. They didn't want to make a decision about Jesus Christ. First, because of their creed, but then secondly, because of the consensus. Because of what the majority said. Let me tell you something. Bible Christianity has never been popular. Never been popular. And some of you are saying, oh, well, you know, in 300, Constantine declared the whole world Christian. No, he he declared the whole world papish. And there's a difference. He declared the whole world Catholic. That doesn't necessarily mean he declared the whole world Christian. Uh, He instituted a state religion, but that doesn't mean that it was Bible Christianity. It's always been the minority that have accepted Christ. And the Bible says that broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. And many there be that go therein, but uh, straight and narrow is the way that leadeth unto life everlasting, and few there be that find it. Notice what they say. First off, they uh, wouldn't make a decision about Christ because of public opinion. They said, if he were not a malefactor, we would not have delivered him up unto thee. In other words, they look at Pilate and they say, well, look around at all these people that agree that he must be a criminal. Could I say to you that there's a lot of people that will never give Jesus Christ the time of day simply because this world rejects him. But let me tell you something. This world's been wrong before. This world's been wrong. But there was a time you'd have been burned at the stake for believing that the world was round. Amen? The Bible had it already worked out in the book of Job or the book of Isaiah when it talks about the circle of the earth. But there was a time when the consensus of society believed that. There was a time that society believed that the world was held up on the back of a turtle. I mean, listen, just because the world believes it, that doesn't mean that it's right. And may I remind you this morning that if you want to go the way of the world, that's fine. But let me remind you that in this world, there's still more people dying and going to hell than there are dying and going to heaven. And it will always be that way. As long as sin reigns in this world. Just because you can find a group of friends that is uh, satisfied to let you die and go to hell, that doesn't mean Christ isn't the Son of God. Just because that you can find a group... Listen, one of the... And I'm not... I want to be very clear in what I say. I'm not against college. I'm not against academia. I'm not against any of that. I mean, you know, this world has a stupidity problem. We ought to be trying to fix it. Amen? But let me say that one of the most dangerous elements of sending our kids away is most of them, if they go to a secular institution, and some even quote-unquote biblical institutions... They wind up with a majority of people that completely reject Jesus Christ. Isn't that true? I, I mean, you, you call me on it if it's not true, but isn't that true? And we send them away, and it gives them the idea, because they're in this little clique and group of people, that the whole world must feel and think this way. But I'm here to tell you that it doesn't matter if the whole world rejects Jesus Christ. Rejecting Him still means dying and going to hell. Because of public opinion, but I would say because of their personal intuition. When they're saying this, they're saying, well, we're trusting that he's a criminal. And they're saying, Pilate, why don't you trust us that he's a criminal? And there's a lot of people that will die and go to hell today 
simply because they're trusting their instincts. There's a big difference between instincts and the Spirit of God. There's a big difference between conscience and conviction. And just because it feels good, that doesn't mean it's right. Can I say to you that we are still sin-fallen creatures? We still have a flesh. And the lost sinner, except he run headlong into the Word of God and conviction and the cross of Calvary, it'll always feel right to do wrong to the sinner. Always. And can I say even to us that are saved, there's a part of us that enjoys and indulges in doing what's wrong. But the Spirit of God convicts us. But the lost person doesn't have the Spirit of God indwelling in them. I find that this whole idea, this personal religion thing, it has eat up our society. I can't tell you how many people that I, I mean, I've knocked on doors, I've witnessed people, I've talked to people. I've asked them, I'd say, you know, do you believe in Jesus Christ? Have you ever accepted Him? They'll say, oh, I believe in God. Well, what does that mean? What does it mean just to believe in God? Uh, just about everybody except militant atheists or agnostics believe in God. Do you mean you believe in the Muslim God? Do you mean you believe in the Jehovah's Witness, their God? Do you believe that? Uh, do you mean you believe in some of the 280 million Hindu gods? What do you mean when you say you believe in God? You'll begin to ask them, well, what do you mean by that? And they'll say, well, I don't know. I just think me and God are all right. You mark her down, friend. And I'm not trying to be a cynic. But you mark her down. Nine times out of ten, when people will refer to God as the big man upstairs or say me and God are all right, nine times out of ten, they don't know God no more than anything. When you get born again, you get a holy reverence in your heart for the things of God. And it, I mean, it, oh my, I'm, Lord help me to not preach my pet peeves this morning. <laughs> I promise I'm not mad, I'm just fired up. But let me tell you something, just because, just because you've constructed your own religion that is adequate for you, that doesn't mean it satisfies God. Just because you've constructed your own belief system and developed your own God. Do you know that in the book of Exodus, whenever they made the golden calf, a lot of people miss this. See, a lot of people, whenever they read the story of the golden calf in the book of Exodus, they think they're reading about the, uh, the, uh, the Israelites worshiping Egyptian gods. But that's not what the Israelites said. The Bible says that Aaron told them, said, let us keep a feast unto the Lord. And they said, these be the gods that brought us up. Out of Egypt. Do you know what they were doing? They were making a graven image unto God. Do you know why that's forbidden in Scripture? Because at the end of the day, no one knows what God looks like. And in a time when idolatry and idols, uh, their, uh, their appearance had significance, there was no way they could fashion an idol unto God without knowing what He looked like. So you know what they had to do? They had to, they had to fashion God as they imagined Him. We live in a day where most people's religion is nothing but fashioning God as they imagine Him. A God without holiness. A God without righteousness. A God that forgives without ever expecting repentance. Could I say to you, that's not a Bible God. That's not the God of Scriptures. The Bible says that our God is a jealous God. People say, well, I just, you know, I, I don't know if I can follow a God that's a jealous. It's not about whether you can follow Him. It's about that you must follow Him because He is God. Whether we like it, whether we accept it. I mean, we can shake our fist towards heaven. We can curse His name. We can be angry about it. We can live our life for the devil and live it like hell, but it's not going to change His throne or His authority. He's still God. 
We see because of the consensus. We're not going to go in because the majority has already made the decision. But I want you to notice a third and final thing. Notice what they say in verse 31. Then said Pilate unto them, Take ye him and judge him according to your law. The Jews therefore said unto him, It is not lawful for us to put any man to death. Now, there's something interesting about the statement they make, because it's true and then it's not true. It's not true in the sense that there are many provisions for capital punishment in the Old Testament law. But it is true in the sense that because it was the uh, Feast of Unleavened Bread and because the Passover was approaching, that they could not put any man to death. But what I want you to gather when they say it's not lawful is what they're essentially saying is this. They're saying, Pilate, if we could, we would, but we can't, so we won't. I'd say there's some people that won't make a decision for Jesus Christ, and maybe even in this room today, because of their creed, some because of the opinion of the consensus, but some because of their so-called capacity to make that decision. They're saying, we can't do it. Or let me put it this way. They're saying, it's not our decision to make. Can I say to you that first off, they claim that they lacked the ability to. And there's people today that claim that they don't lack or that they don't possess the knowledge and the wisdom to make a decision for Jesus Christ. You know, there's a woman like that in John chapter number four. And our Lord came to Jacob's well. And he asked this woman to draw water for him. And he didn't do it because he needed water. He did it because she needed water. She needed a spiritual drink. She needed salvation. And you find that she becomes very evasive with the gospel. Because she gives several excuses as to why she should not make a decision. But one of them is this. First she looks at him. And uh, she says to him, she says, well, uh, you know, our fathers worship in this mountain, speaking of Samaria. And the Jews worship in Jerusalem. So where is it that we're supposed to worship? You know, a lot of times you go to witness people and they want to start asking you theological questions. I found that to be true. And there may be some here today that's sitting there listening to this message and thinking, yeah, that's good, preacher, but what about... And you know what Christ says to her? He said... Ye know not what ye worship. God is a spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. Ye know not what ye worship. You know what He's saying to her? He's saying, don't you worry about worship. You're spiritually dead. Let me give a piece of advice to people that that are witnessing. Don't have a spiritual conversation with a spiritually dead person. Don't argue theology with someone. You'll get no further than if you used to argue with a dead man down at the mortuary. And what he's saying is this, don't worry about where we need to worship. You need to worry about accepting me. And there may be some that are sitting here and thinking, well, yeah, preacher, but somebody did me wrong. Well, I wouldn't die and go to hell over my bitterness for them. Or saying, yeah, but I saw this fellow and they is a hypocrite. Yeah, but you still go to the Walmart and it's eat up with hypocrites. You know why you go to the Walmart even though it's eat up with hypocrites? Because you're not going for the hypocrites. You're going for the goods. And let me tell you something, the moment that you fall in love with Jesus Christ and you quit going to church for the hypocrites and you start going to church to meet with Him, you'll find them hypocrites don't bother you no more. You say, you got hypocrites here? Probably. I'm probably the worst of the lot. There's hypocrites everywhere and there's some that are saying, well, I get saved except for all them hypocrites. 
Hey, listen, you know not what you worship. Don't worry about those hypocrites. Worry about your own soul. Some say, well, if I get saved, I'm going to have to give this up. Don't worry about giving that up. If you need to give it up, God will take it away from you and give you the grace and strength to bear it. Worry about getting saved. That's the priority. But then there's an interesting exchange that takes place. She says that to him, and he says, you know not what you worship. And then she said this, when Messiah shall come, he shall tell us of all things. You know what she's saying? She says to him, well, you know, we worship in Samaria and the Jews. You all worship down in Jerusalem. Where is it that we're supposed to worship? And he says, hey, don't worry about that. You need to worry about your own soul. And she says, well, you know, one of these days we'll know all about it. But right now, who can really know? She's saying, I like the ability to make the decision to accept you. And let me tell you something. There's going to be a lot of people dying to go to hell with this mentality. Well, how can we really know what's right? And what's wrong? How can we really know if it's Muhammad or if it's Jesus? How can we really know uh, if it's Buddha or if it's uh, Gishni or Gishnu or Gishnai? That sounds like something when you'd sneeze, don't it? Amen? How can we really know? I'll tell you how we can know. Two things. One, the rest of them have full tombs. We have an empty tomb. But I can tell you another thing. That Spirit of God that's stirring your heart as I preach these words. That Spirit of God that's moving in your soul that bears witness that Christ is the Son of God. Don't you worry about those other gods. They're dead and false anyway. You worry about your relationship with Jesus Christ. They said, we lack the ability. How can we really know? Well, truth is being presented to you. The Spirit of God is dealing with you. It's not a matter of whether you can know. It's a matter of the decision that you're going to make. But I want you to notice the second thing that's implied. Look what it says. It's not lawful, lawful for us to put any man to death. Now, when they say it's law and not lawful, what they're implying is this. There is an authority placed above us, and we do not have the authority to circumvent that authority. In other words, you picked up on the word probably, They said, we don't lack the authority to make that decision. I'll tell you, it's a hard time to live in. You know it? If you're a Bible Christian, it's a hard... And it's going to get harder. Don't misunderstand me. But it's a hard time to live in. We live in a day today where it's not just enough. It's not just enough to say, uh, to try to get others to uh, believe in Jesus Christ. We live in a day, listen, where if you go out and start preaching the name of Jesus Christ, you'll have some that will come along and try to throw food in your face, spit in your eye. We live in a day when if you claim you believe in Jesus Christ, you're considered a bigot. You're considered a hate monger. Because we live in a world that claims this. No man has the authority to tell me what truth is. And some of you are sitting there thinking within yourselves, it's not my decision to make. It's not my decision to make whether Jesus Christ is the Son of God. It's not my decision to make whether or not He died for our sins. Now, you wouldn't say it that way. What you would say is this. It's not my decision. It's not my decision to say that Muslims are on their way to hell if they don't accept Christ. You know, we live in a day, this breaks my heart, and, I, and listen, I'm not up here trying to... I, 
you don't lift up Jesus Christ by tearing down others. So that's not what I'm trying to do. But I can tell you right now, you can go on, you can find it online, you can see where Joel Osteen had an opportunity to give the gospel, the gospel on 60 Minutes. Don't let me make you nervous this morning. Listen to me. He had the opportunity. Larry King looked at him right in the eye and he said, Joel, what about Muslims? What about Orthodox Jews? What about these Mormons? Are they going to hell? You know what he said? And by the way, I'm getting ready to upset you, but Billy Graham said the same thing verbatim. He looked at me and he said, Joel, or he said, Larry, it's not up to me to tell whether people are dying and going to hell or not. Is that what a preacher is today? And I'm not saying that to tear anybody down. He's going to answer for God for him, and I'm going to answer for me. I'm not saying it to get your attention or focus on Joel Osteen. God help us this morning. I'm saying it to get you to understand that's the world we live in today. Where even preachers are sitting there saying, can we really know what's true or not? When even preachers are standing up, hey, if a preacher can't tell you whether uh, you can get to heaven or whether you can go to hell, who can? If it's not for preachers to tell us what the way of truth is, who's it for to do it? I'm here to tell you this morning that you can know absolutely 100% for sure that you're going to heaven when you die. You don't have to wonder. You don't have to doubt. You don't have to have any questions. And I can also tell you that there's a way to know whether you're absolutely 100% for sure going to hell when you die or not too. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says in John chapter number 3 that uh, if you've rejected the Son of God, if you've not accepted Him, that the wrath of God abides on you already. He said, I'm not come to condemn the world, but that they might have life through me. He said, the world's condemned already because they believe not on the only begotten Son of the Father. I'm trying to get you to understand, and this ain't the prettiest sermon I've ever preached, and certainly not the most impressive and who gives a rip about any of that anyway? But I'm here to tell you this morning that you have a decision to make about Jesus Christ. If you've never accepted Him, and listen, you can sit there and be so mad at me that you want to spit. You can come up and choke my neck if you want to afterwards. It's your right to do that. But I'm trying to get you to understand that there will come a day when you'll have to answer for the decisions that you make. There will come a day when the Words of this sermon will ring in your eternal mind and bear testimony to an opportunity you had to accept the gospel of Jesus Christ. What was the real reason? I'll say this and I'm done. Look in John chapter 19. Verse 1 says, Then Pilate therefore took Jesus and scourged him. And the soldiers plaited a crown of thorns and put it on his head. And they put on him a purple robe and said, Hail, King of the Jews. And they smote him with their hands. Pilate therefore went forth again and saith unto them, Behold, I bring him forth to you, that you may know that I find no fault in him. Then came Jesus forth, wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, and Pilate saith unto them, Behold the man. When the chief priests therefore and officers saw him, in other words, they're faced with him, they cried out, saying, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate saith unto them, Take ye him and crucify him, for I find no fault in him. Listen carefully to this. The Jews answered him, We have a law. By our law, he ought to die. 
because he made himself the son of God. Now, we know that maybe in their mind they were speaking about the Old Testament law, but we know in actuality they couldn't be talking about it because, of course, he made himself to be the Son of God because he was the Son of God. All of the Old Testament law looked forward unto the coming Messiah. All of the Old Testament law prophesied the Son of God coming into this world. So the real offense was not against God's law. Listen carefully. The real offense... The real reason they wanted him to die. The real reason they shouted, crucify him, crucify him, was because he ran afoul of their own religion and their own philosophy. It doesn't say because he made himself a shepherd in Israel. It doesn't say because he made himself a healer and a teacher. It doesn't say because he opened blinded eyes and raised the dead and uh, loose tongues that were not able to speak. And notice it does not even say because he made himself the king of the Jews. What was the issue they had a problem with? They said because he made himself the son of God. They had a problem with his deity. Funny thing about Bible Christianity is that there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism. There's a singularity about it. I'll tell you what the world has a problem with. The world doesn't have a problem if you want to believe the way you want to, as long as you don't tell them they're going to hell for believing the way they want to. And I know that we have been brainwashed and we have been programmed to see people that preach a singularity as being hate mongers, But I'm here to tell you that the truth is singular. Jesus Christ is the only way, the only truth, the only life. He's the only way to heaven. He is the Son of God, sinless and spotless, sacrificed for your sins and for my sins. And whether that fits in with our philosophy or not is irrelevant. It's the absolute truth. I got good news for you, though. He's willing to save you today. Willing to. Now here's your decision. You can walk out those double doors the same as you came in. That's your choice. And I'm not going to treat you... Listen, I didn't preach this message at anyone. I don't know anybody's heart except my own. And I don't preach it with anyone in mind other than trying to glorify my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So nobody would treat you bad. Nobody would treat you different. And even if they would, that doesn't need to be why you choose to accept Christ as your Savior. But I'm here to tell you, that's your your right. God gives us free will. And you can walk out those double doors just the same, but understand there'll come a day when your knee will bow. There'll come a day when you'll have to give a reckoning and give an account and give an answer. But I'm here to tell you that if you'll bow your knee at the cross of Calvary today, you don't have to fret that that day when your knee will bow again. You can come to know Christ as your Savior. That's as plain as I know how to put it. I can't tell you. Listen, I can't, te- I can't look into your heart. But I can tell you that if the Spirit of God is bearing witness that you need Christ's salvation, then you need Christ's salvation. The book of Hebrews says today's the day of salvation, not tomorrow, not the day after. You, you may not get tomorrow or the day after. But you have today, 
And you can choose to accept Christ as your Savior. And I hope that you will.